Well, we want to thank you for uh, being a part of our worship gathering today. And um, a lot of you don't know, but I have a little timer here on my iPad that I use. And I try to follow that timer to the best that I can without quenching the Holy Spirit and uh, but yet trying to be a, a steward of your time. And today I have that time dialed down a little bit because I don't know that my voice will go farther than 30 minutes or so. Um, But I'm going to do my best to um, honor the word of the Lord today and honor your time because I know you have things with family and so much uh, this evening. And so thank you for being here to worship the Lord Jesus. It greatly honors him. Um, In 2012, uh, a well-known movie, a very popular movie to our young people came out and to guys like me called The Avengers. So our young people know this, this movie. And the, the villain in this movie, uh, he was an Asgardian villain. His name was Loki. And there's a scene in, in where he's in Germany, and Loki makes this comment to a crowd full of people whom he wants to rule over. He says that as, huma- as humanity, we crave subjugation. We crave subjugation. It's a big word. But it basically means that as humans, we desire to be ruled. Well, little did these writers of this fictional comic book movie know is that they were actually right. That we desire to be ruled because we were created to be ruled. Because God made us to be subjects, not sovereigns. That's how God made us. We were not made to be rulers. We were made to be ruled. God made us as humanity to govern that which he made, but we were never made to be supreme over anything outside of God's control and purposes. And as we come to this time of the year, We focus our attention on Jesus Christ, the babe born in the manger, the God child, and we come to be reminded of the sovereign purposes of God, His rule and reign. When we say the word sovereign, it means that He is king over all. And in particular, He sends His Son into the world to rule and reign in all of eternity so that we might see His power and His might and His glory. And so Jesus is, it's it's kind of hard for us to grasp at this time of year because we see this child in the manger and we disconnect ourselves from the fact that the Bible tells us that, that the God child Himself never rid Himself of any of His power or His attributes by coming into this world and being in the form of man. So many preachers before me have said that the babe in the manger still possess the power to uphold the universe. It's hard for us to comprehend. God never came into this world discarding His power or discarding His rule and His authority. Now, there's a thing that we need to understand about rule and authority is that we can have a king and not submit ourselves to that king, but he still remains king. 
And this is the problem with the world today, is that the world seeks to be their own sovereign instead of acknowledging the sovereignty of God who created all things. Years ago in the 80s, there was a, uh, there was a, a Bible tract that people passed out. And there was a picture of it, and it was a, a circle with a, with a throne in the middle of the circle, and there was an S on the throne. And that represented the way in which humanity lives in sin. We want to be on the throne of our lives. We want to rule. We want to be sovereign. We want to be in control. And the Bible says, no, that's not how we live. We actually understand that God created us to be ruled by Him. And therefore, when we come to understand that, we understand that Jesus was sent into the world to be the king that we need. Okay? He is the king that we need. And, and the reason that we needed Him was if we go all the way back in time to when God created Adam and Eve, they rebelled against God. And they created, the Bible says, a separation between us and Him. And therefore, Jesus has to come into this world to, um, to mend, to restore that which was broken in that time. And so Jesus is the Savior of the world, but He is also the Lord of the world. This child that was sitting in this cattle stall that we sing about, He came into the world to be King, to be ruler of all. And this is the message of Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah chapter 9. And I chose this passage because we're very familiar with verse 6. It's on memes and it's on t-shirts and it may be on a sign in your yard. And it, and it reads, I'll read it again. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, the government will rest upon his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. <clears throat> what we don't look at sometimes is the previous verses. And they're, they're very important verses because verse 6 is the, is the climax all the way through to verse 7. And so if we want to understand what Jesus is coming to do, we can learn that in verses 1 through 5 with the climax of verse 6. And so what I want to do is take verses 1 through 5 today and just help us see what I call our kingdom blessings that we receive when we put our eyes and our focus and our trust upon the King who is the promised Lord Jesus. Okay? So we're going to look at four of these blessings today. Number one, it's restoration. Restoration. <clears throat> Some of the reasons why we don't read difficult passages in the Bible is because we get to sentences like verse one. It says, but there will be more, there will be no more gloom for her who is in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea and on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. We get to verses like that and we're like, I don't understand anything that's going on there. I'm going to move on. I'm just going to, I'm going to just kind of skip over that section. 
Well, this is my job to help you not skip over it, but understand. This is a a sentence of restoration. See, what he's saying is, is that historically, the people of Israel, they had been rebellious and disobedient. And so God sent the warring nations like Babylon and Assyria as a, as a tool of judgment upon the people of God for their rebellion. Parents, when you whip out your belt or your spanking spoon to discipline your child out of love, God was sending these nations to judge the people of God for their disobedience. He had warned them in love. He had warned them in mercy. He had given them chance after chance. And they continually rebelled against Him. And so in 733 B.C., He sends the Assyrian armies. And the first group of people that the Assyrian armies would capture of Israel would be the land of Naphtali and Zebulun, the northern areas of Israel. And in doing so, these people were the first to face the wrath of God's judgment and discipline. And so they became the nations of what we would call a region of Galilee that were considered in contempt or in anguish because of the judgment against God. You know, it's kind of like the cousin at Christmas that always gets in trouble with their parents. And you're like, you're, you're, you know, you're a cousin and you're kind of staying away from them because they're always the one getting in trouble. Well, Galilee, the land of Nebula, Zebulun and Naphtali, they were the contempted or discarded area that was scorned by God as people thought. They had faced the wrath of Assyria before any of Israel had. And therefore, they, as, as the uh, prophet of Isaiah, Isaiah says, they were in gloom in earlier times. God had treated them with contempt. But there's a promise here. There's a promise of restoration. Now, before we move on, We have to think about this for a second because as we acknowledge that God is our king and our ruler, we have to see here then that God has a right and a privilege to do what's necessary to discipline those He loves. It's important for us to acknowledge that. Because if we want God to love us and we want God to save us, then we must acknowledge He as ruler over all And therefore, if He chooses to discipline us in a way that might bring us pain and suffering in order to grab our attention and bring us to repentance, He will do it. Matter of fact, the prophet Isaiah in in chapter 45 says something very profound. He says, The one forming light and creating darkness, meaning God, causing well-being and creating calamity, I am the Lord who does these things. God gives us well-being. God creates calamity. Why? So that He can bring about His purposes. And He always does these things in goodness and righteousness and faithfulness. Now, we couldn't do that because we are full of sin. 
But God is sinless and imperfections. He does these things rightly and justly. So when you think about Jesus being born in Bethlehem, you have to understand that Bethlehem was in the region of Judea. But what we know is, is that eventually Jesus and his family, Mary and Joseph, they travel northward and they live in Nazareth and grow up in Nazareth. Nazareth is in the region of Galilee. Jesus was a Galilean. Jesus was from the area of the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. What we have to understand is this area, which was once a place of contempt and scorn and ridicule and social rejection, God brought about restoration. He brought about hope because out of this scorned land came the Savior of the world. This place that was once rejected now was the place that would be honored because Jesus was from Nazareth. Because Jesus was a Galilean. This is the beautiful picture that we have. That we see a God who is willing to bring about restoration and bring about a change in people. And He does this through Jesus Christ. Once we were formally facing the wrath of God, just as the Assyrians were pouring their wrath from God upon those of Israel. They were dishonored in their culture. And yet God ordained that Jesus would be born there and bring about their social reputation as a way to restore them. In the same way, we who are once rejected by God, can be restored. We can be restored by putting our trust in Christ. This is why Isaiah calls him, in verse 6, the Prince of Peace. Because through Christ, we can have reconciliation with God. We face judgment from Him because of sin, and yet because of His sacrifice upon the cross... He brings about peace where which we can be restored. Now listen, as a person who made a lot of bad choices as a young man, I have no right at all to stand on this stage outside of the grace of Christ to preach God's Word. I didn't earn my stripes to be up here. I literally had an opportunity that God gave me by a call from Him to say, hey, I'm going to save you and I want you just to explain and teach people God's Word because just like it changed you, it can change other people. That's why I'm here. And when we understand the restoration that is provided by by the Gospel of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what our pasts are. It doesn't matter our faults. It doesn't matter our laundry lists of sins. When we put our trust in Christ, the Bible says He restores us. He brings peace where there's hostility. He brings salvation where there's judgment. So we must put our trust in Him. So there's restoration. That's the first blessing. Number two, illumination. Illumination. In verse 2, it tells us that the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, 
the light will shine on them. You can imagine that <clears throat> the people that lived in this area of Galilee and all of Israel in general facing the wrath of God, they were, they were literally um, uh, they were being scorned by God. And God's wrath oftentimes was reflected in imagery such as clouds and, and darkness. Like, for example, when, a, when the, the darkness of, 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 of uh, a cloud would, would surround a mountain in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, it's oftentimes reflecting the power and the wrath of God. It doesn't mean that God is dark. It just means that His wrath is fierce. And here we have this imagery of the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Well, what's that light? What did I tell you the climax of this verse is? Verse 6, this child is the great light. This child will be the great light. The people are lost in their darkness. Darkness is represented by sin. And they will see the great light. They live in a land that is dark, full of sin. And the light will shine upon them. Folks, this is Old Testament prophecy that is fulfilled in Jesus. John chapter 1 tells us that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? In verse 4 and 5 it says, In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it. Here we're talking about the second blessing, and that is illumination. Illumination. The gift of Jesus Christ into the world is that He came into the world as the light that we need. The world is full of darkness. Sin has overcome this world. And we are constantly groping in the dark, trying to find our way out. And we don't even realize, in, 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 in this world, people don't even realize that they are in captivity. That they are in oppression. That they need to be rescued. Listen, if you are in a giant cave with no light and you have the freedom to spend your life groping around the floor looking for things that you cannot see, you think that you have freedom. No one is restraining you from going around, feeling the floor. This is your life all day long. Man, I'm free. I have everything that I need. Until you see the light... And you realize that you are contained. You are bound to a room. Going back and forth. Not really even able to see what's before you. And the light exposes that. And in that light, you understand you can be liberated. That light is a source of escape. Of something better. Of hope. Jesus gives us this illumination. We're talking here about the, 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 lumen, the liberation of the soul. Giving the gift of illumination is that, the, that Jesus Christ opens our, our hearts and minds to understand that we are living in darkness. And He Himself is the light that exposes sin. He, he helps us see that sin offends a holy God. It helps us see 
the, the very nature of sin. John tells us again in, chap- in chapter 3 that the light has come into the world, but that men love darkness rather than light. Do we see that in our culture? Everywhere. Everywhere, the, the hunger and the thirst and the lusting for darkness. Sin is satisfying. Sin is appealing. And we have to see that although it is tasteful, it is not nutritious. It is bad for us. And therefore, the light exposes that which is evil. And so the gift of the kingdom, the gift that this child, the king, will bring is that he, being the light himself, exposes sin and is the source of escape. He doesn't just show us the way out. He provides the way out. He provides that way in which we can escape this bondage of sin and death. Friends, we as Christians who believe in Jesus, we understand this light because it has already illuminated us. It has shown us our sin and how gravely wicked we are. And yet it is the source of hope so that we can know our way of escape. And He has provided that way so that we might come to Him. So we have, obviously, restoration, illumination. Number three is jubilation. It just means to be joyful. In verse 3, he says that you shall, shall surely multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. Listen, there's joy in this transformation. There's joy when Christ reveals our sin and provides us the way of escape. There's joy there because we can understand who we are and what we need and He provides the path to get there. But it's more than that. It's more than just the blessings. It's also about the relationship. Our jubilation comes because we have a relationship with the Creator as believers in Jesus Christ. We are able to have a relationship with this God-child who is in the manger. Jesus Christ invites us to come to Him and follow Him and be His disciple. A disciple is a learner. A disciple is someone who comes and and has a relationship with Him as their master and and teacher. So that we are coming to say, Jesus, teach me and love me and discipline me. And with every relationship, we find joy in those relationships in Christ. And so this promise here is that that a relationship with the Messiah will increase our gladness. But notice, they will be glad in your presence. Not just people who are glad because they get the kingdom blessings. This is what's the problem with the church today. 
is that there's so many so-called Christians who just want the blessings of the kingdom, they don't want the king. And when you only want the blessings and not the king, you don't belong to the kingdom. That's like kids who show up to your house and say, hey, what can I get and I get and I get, but I don't really want a relationship with you. See, it's all about loving the king. It's all about being subject to the king and having a relationship with him. So they will be glad in your presence. It's all about our relationship. And so Jesus comes into the world He lives a perfect life. He dies upon the cross. He raises from the dead so that you and I, who were once in hostility toward God, can now have a relationship with Him. And so if you truly belong to Christ, then you will have joy in His presence. Now listen, joy is not happiness. Joy is not happiness. doesn't mean you're always going to be happy. There are difficult days. There are sad days. But to have joy in Christ is to rejoice in Him. Is to rejoice in His goodness and His faithfulness. To be thankful in all that He has accomplished. To put trust in Him. Not to live in despair. And Isaiah gives us two examples of that type of joy. Look with me in verse 4 or verse 3. He says, As with the gladness of harvest, or as men that rejoice when they divide the spoil. So two, two illustrations. First, those who have labored in agriculture would understand the process, the hard work of putting in the effort to till up the ground or plant the crops, planting the seeds, trusting in the resources needed to grow that which would be sustenance for you. And to see those seedlings sprout forth. To see the beauty of a field full of little saplings growing, knowing that that this will produce something important for us. It brings a, a joy Similarly, the the armies of war would go and they would conquer and they would fight and they would put their lives upon the line. And they would get to enjoy the spoils of war, the riches of their enemies. It brought about great joy in those things. In both of these illustrations, we look to Christ Because He has come into the world and He has provided a way by which we can have lasting joy. Not riches. Riches fade away. Don't miss that in the illustration. Spoil fades away. Crops fade away. Jesus is the lasting joy. Matter of fact, in Psalm 116 verse 11, He says, You make known to me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. So what we understand is the darkness of this world provides fake joy, false joy, counterfeit joy. Real joy comes at the foot of the cross, at the manger scene where Jesus is represented. We find the presence of the fullness or the fullness of joy in the presence of Christ. And lastly, 
is liberation. Liberation. Verse 4 and 5, the promises of the king coming would be to bring about freedom. Remember, the illumination revealed our captivity. Liberation is the removal of that captivity. He says, you will break the yoke of the burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor as the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for fire. He's talking about liberation. Liberation from the oppressors. Now for the Jews, you can imagine this promise because Isaiah's job as a prophet was to give good news and bad news. And if you read through the whole book of Isaiah, it's a lot of bad news. It's a lot of, hey, by the way, God's judgment is coming. God's judgment is coming. But these verses are hope. Hope to God, even though He will allow oppression, He will bring freedom from that oppression. That the rod of the oppressor will be broken. He gives the example of the battle of Midian. The story of Gideon and the army of 300. God tells Gideon to lead the people of Israel to defeat the the people of Midian. Midian, he says, were numbered as the sand on the seashore. And God looks at the people of Israel and He's like 22,000 people. And God says, that's too many people, Gideon. I want you to divide that number up. So it goes from 22,000 to 10,000. And God says, that's still too many people. I need to show my power. And so God says, Gideon, I want you to send the people to the water and I want you to tell them to drink and how the people drink will divide up the group. And it ended up going from 22,000 to 10,000 to 300 people. And God takes 300 people with Gideon as their leader and He defeats an entire nation that were innumerable soldiers to show that He is the true liberator. That He is the true victor. And the prophet Isaiah gives us as an example that the liberation comes through the Messiah, the promised King, the Lord Jesus. Just as He liberated the people of Israel at Midian. And so we understand that Jesus Christ, this child would come and grow and give His life as a ransom for many so that we might be free so that we would see and understand the beauty and the hope that we have in the victory of Christ with His death upon the cross and His resurrection. That we don't need physical liberation, we need spiritual liberation from sin and death. And we find that in Christ. We find that in the promise of Colossians 2. That He had disarmed the rulers and authorities and was and made a public display of them triumphing over them through him and so all these promises then point us to verse 6 for a child will be born to us a son will be given we understand and we'll look at this next week but we will understand these verses more when we understand that this child can only accomplish these things in his lifetime on earth because He is fully God and fully man. 
because of the beauty and the mystery of Jesus Christ stepping out of heaven and coming into the world so that we might have our sins forgiven and have a relationship with our Creator. It is truly the miracle of Christmas. And He's truly the King that we need. The One who brings restoration. The One who brings illumination, jubilation, and liberation. We find that in Jesus. And so let me invite you to think about your relationship with Christ. To know and understand if you have truly had Christ liberate you from sin. Not that you are free from sin, you will still struggle with it, but that you have been forgiven. That you have peace with God through Jesus Christ alone. You can have it, it's available, it's free. Christ has offered Himself to save you if you would just believe and trust in Him. Turn from your sin, sinner, and put your faith and trust in the King that you need. Let's pray. Father, I pray that in all these things, Lord,